Well, I'm going to start off kind of with a funny story. We're in a series called Rise and Build. Last week was Rise and Build Our Purpose. Today is Rise and Build Our Priorities. Yesterday I was at the zoo. And if you've ever taken four small children to the zoo, it's quite the experience, really. Quite. Uh, my seven-year-old loved it. My four-year-old loved it. My two-year-old was all over the map. And my one-year-old, every time they would say, ladies and gentlemen, she would just go into a rage of crying because that's what babies do when they hear loud noises. And it's interesting that the, the zoo, uh, obviously, not the zoo. Did I say the zoo? Did I say the zoo? I meant the circus. Boy, I'm off to a roaring start today. Um, so the, the circus, as I went to, uh, <laughs> wow, uh, off to a start. The, the circus, uh, when they do their little thing, ladies and gentlemen, the kids, you know, they all get excited. Uh, but we took the kids around to see some of the animals. It was really cool to see the big elephants. Of course, you know, they have really large bowel movements. I don't know if you, <laughs> my kids pointed that out. Can I say that in... <laughs> in church. And it got me to thinking because this week uh, I, I've been putting it out in the, the blogosphere's Facebookosphere about water buffaloes, which I'm going to get to in a second. I'm getting there, I promise. Uh, but it's a fascinating to see God's creation, to see how they all work. And, and uh, some of the tricks that they can do at, that, at the circus is just unbelievable, especially with those animals. But so it got me to thinking about, you know, God and nature. And, and uh, earlier this week, uh, I found, I had a video that I had seen a long time ago. Um, it was when I was covering the Vikings, sorry, uh, when I was working in Minneapolis a couple of years back. And the head coach at the time, Brad Childress, he brought the media in and he showed them a video of uh, three particular animals. One was a water buffalo, one was a lion, and one was a uh, crocodile. And so he said, he asked the question, and I'm going to ask you the question, uh, since we're talking about animals. If you could be one of those three animals, which one would you be? How many of you, raise your hand, would be a water buffalo? I see about one, two, three, four, four. Okay, how about a crocodile? Couple, one, two. How many of you would be a lion? Okay, the whole place, pretty much. Okay, well, I want you to keep that thought. Now, it's interesting, most people do choose the lions, and if you put all three together in a fight... Who do you think would win? Oh, okay. I, yeah, I'm, yeah, some of you are too smart. I want to show this video here of these three animals that was actually caught on tape. This was in 2007. This was an actual video. Now, it's eight minutes in length. We edited it down, but this was all caught naturally in the wild. Can we go ahead and run that video? And I'll set the scene. There's a water buffalo that's coming right next to the lion. It's a huge buffalo. It is a huge buffalo. I'm going to narrate your adventure here. Notice our friends. He's crouching. He's crouching. Oh, my God. Okay, they, they're attacking. And so they're off to the races. Now, watch that little one there. She's going for him. So he gets picked off by the lion. Oh, she did. And they're in the water. They're dragging him out. He's a crocodile. Now, watch what happens there. I don't talk Aussie, but you're getting the picture. So, so the, uh, the crocodile's chomping on the water buffalo, and then there's the, the lions. There's a whole pride of them. And so this goes on for a little bit. Finally, he gets out of the grip of the crocodile because the lions are taking it. But now watch the herd of water buffalo. 
Whoa! Ooh, they got him surrounded. Yeah, you come on, come on. That one. Ooh! Ooh! Jason, we got the lion on him, run. The calf's still alive. It is? Yeah, it's trying to get away. It's standing up. It is, it's a stunning so the little guy gets out of the clutches there and notice the big bull and he's off to the races and the little water buffalo lives another day interesting isn't it so okay the whole point of this is i've just built a case for church we are water buffalo you are part of a herd and uh, some of us are bigger water buffalo, some of us are, are not bigger water buffalo, some of us are little water buffalo, we're babies. But at the end of the day, we are part of a pack here. And what we need to do is stand together, right? Amen. And so the lion represents who? The enemy. Who wants to chomp on you, feed on you, and take, take you out. Now there's crocodiles out there too. And they want to, you know, swoop up, kind of stealth, and, and take you out. But notice we have two assassins, but they were both defeated by the herd. And so uh, when I come to you and say, you need to prioritize church, are you getting the picture? This is our priority. This is what we need to do. And so uh, as we look at, 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 at this message today, a couple things that I wanted to, to, to basically I think that you should get is number one, we need to prioritize each other. We need to invest in the things of God. We need to invest in each other. And more importantly, not only investing inside the church, we need to invest outside the church. In fact, God didn't say arise and build life church. He said arise and build my kingdom. I've talked to many pastors about this and there was an old paradigm that said something like this, build buildings, they'll come, build churches, they'll come. And I really believe that the way the Lord is going to move in these last days, it's the reverse of that. Build my kingdom and my churches will be built and then my people will come because you're building the kingdom first. Because Matthew 6.33 says, build my kingdom first. Seek my kingdom first and everything else will be added unto you. So in my vision, in my world, we build life church as we build the kingdom. But we build the kingdom first. So we have to prioritize the kingdom. And... As I, as I wrote some of these notes down, as I was kind of, you know, pressing through this, this and trying to say, okay, God, what do you, what do you want me to say? Um, we saw there that a tribe defeats the enemy. We saw that there's power in agreement. We saw that when we stand together, good things happen. But then I began to think, okay, why is it that in the herd mentality, why are so many of Christians getting picked off like that little water buffalo? You notice he got separated from the herd. And he was in the water. And then the enemy began to chomp. A couple of things that I wrote down here, because I think it's, it's absolutely true. In fact, I'm kind of going out of order of my notes. But when we look at this, hurt, apathy, fear, moral leadership failures, and burnout. I want to tackle each one of those real quick. Hurt. 40% of the unchurched, that's about 40 million people, have been hurt by the church. These are all statistics I looked up. Apathy. Over 80% of our nation calls themselves Christ followers, but only half of them go to church. Fear. In 2005, Green Bay was named the top city in America least likely to share the gospel. Moral leadership failures. A 2008 survey says that over 1,500 pastors a month leave ministry for moral failures, church contention, and burnout. And finally, burnout. 
the 2080 rule that everyone spouts, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. This is unacceptable in the kingdom of God. Moral failures of leadership, unacceptable. And here's the problem. In every case, in every case, you can look back to one simple thing. In the herd, what happens? What does the enemy do to each and every one of us? You're only alone. No one understands what you're going through. No one can possibly, pastors go through this. No one can understand what you're going through. No one would understand. And so we get isolated and bam, the enemy attacks. Understand this fundamental thing. When you prioritize the things of God, the people of God, the church of God, that is your protection. Let me say that again. That is your protection when you prioritize the things of God and the kingdom of God. And I'm going to show you how this works out in scripture. So we're going to start with Nehemiah. We've been talking about Nehemiah. And just to kind of reset what we talked about last week on uh, Arise and Build Our Purpose, Nehemiah had a burden for a city. It was just in him. And he was in captivity. Uh, his people were in captivity in, in, uh, in Jerusalem. The walls had been torn down. They had forsaken God and, and, and bad things were happening. But he had favor with the king and he had a burning heart to do something larger than himself. He got report that things weren't good. And so he decided to make a difference. He decided to step out in faith and he stood before the king and the king granted him favor and he was able to come up with a plan. Then he looked over the city and he said, you know what? We need to do this, 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 and this. And he found people like our day today that were willing to say, you know what? I've got problems, but I'm going to put those a hold. I'm going to build a kingdom and watch what God can do. Understand this. God understands your problems. Each and every one of you have things that are going on in your life. But it's amazing what happens. I've seen this time and again. My wife and I don't have a lot of time to sit there and squabble over little nitpicky things when we're out trying to do the things that God called us to do. When we're sold out for that, those things have a tendency to fall. You understand what I'm saying? When you begin to prioritize the things of God, He graces you through the little things, those squabbles. And sometimes we look at those big things and they derail us for a second. But understand this, that God wants you back in that herd. He's the great shepherd. And he'll do that for you. But, you know, when you're in that problem, I completely understand that problem seems bigger than our God. But how many know that our God's bigger than our problems? So that sets the stage for Nehemiah. We're going to start in first, or I should say chapter 4, verse 1. And I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Now, Nehemiah had some voice vultures. These were people that, uh, unlike, uh, not unlike today, people that like to... Uh, criticize the work of God. They like to criticize Christians. They like to criticize any good momentum that's going on. So Nehemiah is facing this. Uh, they're on the process of rebuilding the wall. And here's our fella Sanballat. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends, the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? So that's the voice vulture that's coming in and saying we can't do it. Now the church today, I mentioned some of those issues that we face today. Those are some of the issues that you will hear over and over and over again, excuses for not coming to the things of God and the house of God. If I had a dime for every time I got hurt by a Christ follower, I would be Bill Gates. I imagine you're no different. We need to get over it, folks. Let it go. 
your leadership in any church situation is not going to get it perfect. I have had, can I tell you, I'll tell you, I do not like to say I'm sorry, but the Lord demands that I say I'm sorry when I get it wrong. And here's the problem. I will get it wrong at times. But there's this little thing called grace that I preach about, and I love to receive it, but do I really love to give it? We need to give people grace. And so part of being in the the herd and prioritizing the things of God is giving people grace when the enemy is attacking. And so uh, letting go of past hurts, huge, huge, huge in building the kingdom. Now, Sambalot and Tobias spent all their time criticizing. And again, we talked about 20% of the people doing 80% of the work in today's church. I imagine if you set the scene back then, there were probably people there that were grumbling and complaining. We're going to read about it in a second. But when, when you're focused on the end game, what is the end game? What, what do I want to see? These are some of the topics I'm going to hit you with. Key things that God will put in you, a burden in you. They're, you're each unique and different. Each of you can do different things. One guy built a wall one way. He, maybe he laid the brick, but another person was standing guard with a machete. The point is, is that we all have things that we can do. But when they realized that this city was not acceptable the way it was and they had a cause to make change, they went about doing good and they caused the change. So Sanballat, those type of people want to discourage us. They're the ones that say, Ryan, we've heard this all before. Uh, Pastors have preached this for years and and the preacher, you know, it would get us to a certain level and then wham, we saw what a jerk he was. Does that sound familiar at all? Anybody played that tape before? You guys are quiet today, <laughs> okay? Part of the culture of the vision of Life Church is fresh, real, powerful. Here's the thing that the Lord told me I have to do every, every day is that I have to be honest with him and then I have to be honest with you. But that means when I make mistakes, you've got to forgive me. It's not an option. On the other hand, I have to do the same, right? Two-way street. And so that's how we keep us in the herd. That's how we, that's how we continue to, to keep tribe here. Because I'll tell you, I do not want to be a water buffalo picked off. I do not want to be the next casualty of war. Society does love to create a culture of lions and crocodiles. Nehemiah 4, verse 7. Let's skip down to that. When Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. See, momentum is an interesting thing. Uh, pastors talk about it. They have conferences about it. They, they dissect, strategize, plan, eulogize, whatever they can. Did I say eulogize? I guess I did. The point being is, is that we all have these, these thoughts on how to do church but what we forget is it's, it's, it's not about doing church. It's about Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, then he gives us the ideas on how to do church. And it creates the momentum that we need to go about an affecting change in a city. We can't create structures first. We ask God to help us create structures first. We can't solve society's problems first. They need Jesus first. And then we deal with the, 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 the basic day-to-day things. And I'm going to hit you with some of those. Uh, I, I am Nehemiah in some ways. I, I feel like I just, he is me in the sense that I've surveyed the land here. And I've seen the potential here. And I've seen the walls here. And there's things that we can do here to affect change. And I'm going to talk about some of those in a moment. But the fundamental number one thing that the church has to stay focused on, number one, and that is 
preaching the gospel, the good news. There are many things that we need to fix as a society, but the first thing that we have to stand on is the word of God and preaching Jesus to set the people free. Once they get that, everything else changes. We don't build the gospel on just feeding the poor. We feed the poor, but we feed them Jesus first. Do you understand this? We give them Jesus and then we feed them. It's number one. So Nehemiah was focused on what his primary initiative was, and that was to build a wall that would protect God's people and build the people as they were building the wall and building them closer to the Lord. So verse, verse 7, we talked about Sambalot and Tobiah. Then in verse 9, it says, we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So that's a wise move. And what we're seeing here is faith and works. We're saying, God, you're going to build the city for us, but we're going to stand on the wall. So faith and works working together. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Now it's interesting. They just prayed to God and now they're, now the thought life's coming in. Oh, I don't know about this. And then they have some rubbish that they're dealing with. That's foundation stuff from the old wall. Here's the problem, folks. We have a lot of spiritual rubbish that we need to get rid of. And uh, as we're building our walls, I've been down that road before. I've been to that church before. That person has said something to me before and I didn't like it before and I'm hurt. And I'll tell you, if you keep playing those tapes over and over and over and over and over again, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different outcome. How about let's trust God that this isn't going to be the way it once was. It's a new day. Now let's live it. It's a new day. And I'm telling you, I didn't just release that word last week just to sound all super spiritual. I gave it to you because the Lord birthed it in me, said, be expectant. Be expectant for these other pastors who want what you want. Churches want what you want. They may not speak in tongues, but they want what you want. Understand this. Now, I like to speak in tongues, but I'm not going to die on a hill for it. Hello. You get what I'm saying? So I'm not going to torpedo my brother across the street because he doesn't think we should. You know what I'm going to do? Let's build a wall. Let's build a kingdom. Let's get jobs in the area. Let's help single moms in the area. Hello, am I preaching good? Okay, these are things that we need to be doing. But when we prioritize the Lord first, he gives us the creativity to go about doing that. So the people are complaining. They've got some rubbish. They've got excuses. Their priorities could be a little bit out of whack. And I wrote a couple of notes. I said, we prioritize what we invest in. What you spend your time on, you value. Here's a few statistics. Consider the average American. They spend five hours a day watching TV. Five hours a day. The average American spends three hours a week in the shower by comparison. Three hours a week in the shower. I might be a little longer because I like to pray and talk and sometimes I'm like 30 minutes in there and I'm a prune when I come out. But some of you are less than that. Some of you need to take more showers. <laughs> spends, <laughs> the average American spends one hour a week reading the Bible. One hour a week, the average American. The typical U.S. Christian spends about one to three minutes a day in prayer. One to three. The typical U.S. pastor spends 12 minutes a day praying. So are you getting the picture here? We prioritize things in our life. We prioritize our work. We have to. We have to eat. God understands that. But, you know, I, contrary to popular opinion, pastors don't sit around on a prayer cloud all day and chant and pray. And Right, Jan? We have work to do, right? So we, Mary, Pastor Mary, we, we don't just sit around all day and pray, do we, on our glory cloud? No. 
We have work to do. But I will tell you this, what the Lord has clearly spanked me over many, many times is when I begin to talk strategies more than I talk about his resurrection power, I'm in trouble. I need to pray. And I found that the more time I devote to prayer, it seems like the better things go. It's interesting how that works. But I feel like I'm like a little rat in a cage, you know, just going around, 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 around. And, you know, I just need to stop running the rat race and get in the presence. And good things happen. I mean, all of a sudden, God starts downloading ideas to me. If he, he's no respecter of persons, folks. If he does it for me, he'll do it for you. Just because I'm a pastor does not make me more super spiritual than you are. You have the resurrection power in you if you know Jesus. So get in his presence and value time in the presence. Some other priorities. And this one really speaks to me because innate in me as a parent... But, you know, I I find it interesting that parents will do anything for their kids. They'll take them to zoos. They'll take them to circuses and endure incredibly loud music and and all kinds of people wanting your money. We'll go out of our way for our kids. We'll drive 400 miles for a soccer game. But will you take an extra 10 minutes to serve back in the nursery for your kids so that they can get, hello, a little bit of silent here. So as I began to see these things is... Uh, do I begin to value, we, we value all of our kids' uh, coaching, we value their education, we value their sporting events, we value that stuff. But this is where the Think Orange thing really got me. Because parents, are you partnering with your kids the other six days of the week, not just Sundays? Are you investing time? Are you going over these little scriptures and things that Pastor Lori puts out that, you know, my, my daughter comes to me and she says, Daddy, you forgot. Oh, sorry. And we go through it, you know, because we get so busy. And I begin to think, I got one shot at these kids. I got one shot at this age. And then they're all grown up. One shot. But am I so busy ministering to you, I forget about them? Priorities priorities and so we go all out of our way to do all these other things and here's my point is the things of god the kingdom of god now i'm just being honest i I really don't think the church is where it needs to be on this we don't invest in the things of god properly we don't because we don't see it clearly because we don't think well if i serve i'm just doing it because i'm there and i'm just a body i'm just filling in the gap but i'll tell you this uh, my journey, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I haven't done. Before I was ever a pastor, I endured poopy diapers serving in a nursery once every four, however many weeks, uh, once every four to five weeks. I would serve, and uh, every week on Wednesday nights, uh, I would either work in uh, 180s youth group or I would, uh, I would work uh, back in the, you know, the kids' areas, the one-and-a-half-year-olds. And, and, and I did that because they asked parents to invest because if you had kids... You're helping the other parents. Are you getting this? So when I, when, I, when I began to see that, you know what, that's an investment I can make, an invaluable investment because it eases the burden off of the staff and everyone else. And I began to look at a larger picture, not just my little consumer mentality, my show up on Sunday and punch in my card and, man, I got my Jesus fix and I'm ready to go and thank you, bless me, bless me. Hello. I'm preaching kind of hard here, aren't I? We're not a bless me club. Get her done. Get her done. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm not, now listen, I'm not, I, you listen, I have four small kids, but I'll tell you, let me, can I brag on my wife a little bit? 
She helped run that children's ministry for a long time in a startup church with four young kids, showed up every Sunday. A lot of times never got to hear me preach to make that happen. And I, I told the Lord, I refuse to beg for children's workers ever again. My expectation is the Lord will show up, and he has. And he will continue to do that. And if we have, uh, we want to have great kids ministry, to me, the way I look at this, we have a great vision for our kids. I'm expecting our parents once every five, six weeks, four, six weeks, whatever, nine to ten times a year, show up back there. One of you can be, if, you're, if there's two people married, show up, one of you, five times a year and invest in those kids. Just serve and ease the burden because collectively as a herd, we can do more. Amen. And then as you're getting things done, God's getting you done. When we do ministry, now I'm just using the kids as an example, but here's some other ones. Facilities teams, helps teams. You have that little card in your deal there. Uh, first impressions teams, intercessory prayer, community outreach, and the list goes on and on. These are things that, that's a vision we have, but we can't fulfill the vision without you. But I showed you what happens to a water buffalo when they're not part of the herd. So what I'm saying is, and I'm preaching this pretty strong, is if you're not part of the herd and you're not in the game, and you're not building the wall, you're apt for an enemy attack. I'm preaching better than you are responding, but this is the truth. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to do some dances up here, get you guys going. So I wrote this, excuses for not prioritizing the things of God. Excuses are the nails put in the coffin of failure. Excuses are the nails put in the coffin of failure. Nehemiah 4.13, as we move down, our man is on the wall, and in verse 13 says, So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows, bows. So he's addressing the immediate needs here. This is where the church definitely needs to be. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is key. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work and with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. So we talked about, imagine this scenario. They, they didn't probably eat at a lot of restaurants. They didn't have five hours to watch TV. They didn't spend three hours in the shower a week. I don't even know if they did it. I don't know if they even showered back then. Maybe they just dunked in the river. They prioritize the things of God. Now, I'm, I'm making a compelling case, I believe, for service. Let me flip this around, though, too. I want to throw the other side of it. If it's all about serving a church to the neglect of your family, that's wrong. There's balance. And there are seasons of balance. So there are times when I've watched people on the wall. They've served. They've served. I beg them, don't take on any more responsibility. Oh, no, 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 pastor. And you know what? They're not here today. So there's a flip side to this. Are you hearing me? It's not all about the show, not how you can say, see, look at me. I'm in nine rotary clubs, and I've got all this going on at my church, and they never see your family. There is priorities here. And the kingdom 
is the priority here. So I'm addressing some of our internal needs, but there's external things that I'm going to hit on in just a second. There's external kingdom issues that don't affect life church, but that you, it affects you in this community. And when you prioritize your community, God will prioritize your needs. This is how it works. When we prioritize others, he prioritizes things for us. So verse uh, Nehemiah 5, as we move on, I want to go to Nehemiah 5, verse 16. Here's the challenge to the leaders. This is a big one. One that I see that is gloriously lacking in the body and amongst pastors. Nehemiah 5, verse 16 says, I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire any land. And it required all my servants to spend time working on the wall. But you notice in the verse 16 it says, I stood on the wall. Leaders lead by what they do. It's not what just they, what they say. Nehemiah was a good talker, but I'll tell you what, he was a doer. He built that wall. He cast a compelling vision, and the people followed. And when he didn't have enough time or resources, he would do what needed to be done. I can tell you at times I've had to vacuum this place, and I actually like vacuuming this place. And it's not that I'm putting guilt on anybody because we didn't vacuum. We have people that do that. But the point is there are moments, if there's something on the floor right there and I walk right past it, hello, let's just clean it up. I don't need to delegate it to 70 other people. I mean, if it's right there, I can just do it. That's a servant. If you see a need, deal with it. And that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, I don't, our philosophy here, we don't like to micromanage people. We like to let leaders lead. That means you have to let leaders fail, which means you have to let them learn because leaders fail and leaders learn. And what I've, sa- what I've seen over the course of my short two-year things in ministry is churches that don't grow the kingdom is because the leaders do one of two things. They don't stand on the wall or they don't delegate properly and so they burn out and then they complain well god must not be moving in my church because i've got five people i'm preaching to this sunday if they're either in gross disobedience or now i'm not i'm just talking truth here they're either in gross disobedience or they're not delegating or or they're just flat out selfish now here's the good news i've talked to a number of leaders in this town and pastors and i will tell you this i'm going to brag on some of this Uh, there's a changing tide here. There's a lot of pastors here that want to go about doing good and that they want to lead by example here. I'd like our church to be a part of that charge. I would, I see a day. I'm, I'm casting this vision to you today. Write the date down. Within the next three to four years, we will have major initiatives with other churches that may not have all the same denominational doctrinal distinctives that we perhaps preach, but we're, we're going to affect change in this community here. It's coming. It's coming. And so when they come to the church, they're not building a building, they're building people. And I I just, I'm over and over again, I'm saying this because it's important. So leaders, we need to prioritize our people and they will prioritize our initiative. So Nehemiah 6 says here, here's the big finish. It says, Nehemiah 6, verse 15. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. So we've heard the prophetic word last week. We've we've seen what God wants to do in our areas. He said, I, I want my pastors to rebuild the walls. I want my people to seek my face. I want them to believe me for incredible things. But there's an if 
then part of that equation. If we do nothing, God, we limit God's ability to do things and great things for the city through us. Here's the revelation. He wants to use you and I to get it done. It grieves me to see people suffering. If, it, it, there are families in this church. I've seen marriages that have gone through some incredibly tough times. If I had all the resources of the heaven, I'd cut a check for every problem. Problem is, is that there are issues we need to go through. There are things and trials that God builds character through us. And I will tell you, through my greatest trials and mismanagement of money and blaspheming God and telling him all the things that I was mad about him for, he loved me through it. And on the other side, he built my character. God wants to build your character while you go through those trials. God is not the author of sickness or disease, but he can work through any attack that the Sanballats put on your character, any attack of the enemy on your finances, any attack of the enemy on your physical health. I always joke, if you call me up for prayer, when I go to a hospital, we're call, I'm going there in faith. We're not budging off of what God wants to do, and that is he is the healer. So if you want me to pray, oh, Lord, I hope that you heal, then I'm not the guy. Don't even ask me. I mean, I'm not coming. Because I'm not the results giver, but the word says to preach the word. And it says, by his stripes, you are healed. So I don't care what your body's screaming at you in that very moment. We're declaring that you're healed. And I'll tell you what, I've watched people endure some incredible things. The manifestation may not hit right away. But you know what? Think this through. What do you have to lose? You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. <laughs> I'm not Jack Nicholson. So I got, I got to end this, folks, or Lori, Pastor Lori. I promise. That's another thing, too. When we close, uh, uh, please get your kids, too, and thank them you know, quickly uh, just because they do such a great job. But I, I promised her I'd be out at 10 after. We got five minutes. I got to get her done here. So here's a quick one. A couple of things I see about the city, and I'm just going to hit this real quick. Spiritual apathy. Uh, we talked about that Barna survey. That's changing, amen? Spiritual, a religious spirit that, that, that wants to keep people from Jesus. They want, they're just, that's changing. Alcoholism. You know, I, there's a vision down the road, a healing center. I can see doctors, nurse practitioners, psychiatrists that love the Lord, psychologists, uh, physical fitness gurus. I want a healing center that ministers to mind, body, spirit. Because I believe the people of faith can do a better job than what the public sector can do. I do. So let's not fight it. Let's fund it. But let's wait until God says to fund it because we're not ready there yet. I got to build the people who know how to pray. I need to teach them how to, to, to trust in the Holy Spirit. And I got to get them in personal relationship with Jesus. There's a lot to be done, Right? But that's part of the vision. Here's another one, poverty. Folks, we got to look around. There's a lot of single parents out there. This grieves me. Grieves me. There's also, in this town especially, now we call it title town, but to some extent because of just life and the mentality, instead of calling it title town, I think in some ways it's become entitlement town, and that's got to change. A little bit. A lot. Irreverence, lack of respect for the elderly and our elders. I'm going to tell you, I love our youth, but man, I'm going to smack them all the time. Love your elders, man. Love them. They have wisdom for you. I've been down the road of challenging the elders and speaking with irreverence. Let me tell you, it's a pit. Drove me to drinking. You don't want to do that. Been down that road. It's painful. We got to love people. We got to love, you know, 
that's another, that's another thing that we've got to change. Social apathy. Our people perish for lack of vision to affect change. And then I close with this. Who are you? Are you a water buffalo? Are you a lion? Are you a crocodile? Probably chances are we've been that sneaky little snake slurping out of the water trying to attack. We've also been that bold lion that just comes after people. But we need to be water buffalo. We need to hang with the herd and the people of God and the church of God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You say, well, Ryan, you've hit me with a lot today. Would you just raise your hand right now? You say, Ryan, I need to prioritize the things of God. And I haven't been to the extent that I need to. Raise your hand, would you? Quite a few of you. Okay. Now, I don't want this to be meaningless, but I want to pray this prayer and then we're going to close because I, I want to keep my promise. Father in heaven, please help me to be a watchman on the wall, to prioritize your kingdom and stick with the herd. Help me to hang in there when the going gets tough and to prioritize your people. Let me let go of hurts from other Christians and for people outside the church. I release that to you. I live for you. I prioritize you. You are my Lord and my master. And in God's power, we consider it done. Amen. Don't consider that rote. We're going to close. I want to dismiss you now. Please go get your kids. Guys, next week, Pastor Arnie has an incredible message. Please be here. This is huge for the vision of the building. Prioritize it. Please come. God bless. Have a great week.